Welcome to our Didache Divine Service. Tonight, again, session 11 that we have had together is on the third article of the Creed, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I thank Pastor Gelbach for sitting in for me last week while I was at the symposium at Fort Wayne. Let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Holy Spirit, we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to him. Call us to faith in Jesus by the gospel. Enlighten us every day with your gifts of baptism, absolution, and the Lord's Supper. And sanctify and keep us and the whole Christian church on earth with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Forgive us our sins every day and give us the blessed hope of the resurrection to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hymn 768.
Hymn 768, To God the Holy Spirit, Let Us Pray. You sang it last week, we sing it again tonight. It underscores so beautifully the work of the Holy Spirit. Last week, in the washing of the disciples' feet, the Holy Spirit was not mentioned. But that ministry of love that was displayed in Jesus, in his preaching, in his teaching, in his suffering and death upon the cross, and then typified in the humiliation of washing the disciples' feet, is an illustration of the Holy Spirit as the minister of God's love to us, of Christ's forgiveness to us. So we noted last week in that washing of the disciples' feet, connections both to Baptism, where we are bathed and declared to be righteous, and then the ongoing washing that we need through the ministry of the Spirit in absolution and the forgiveness of sins. So stanza four of this hymn succinctly describes what the work of the Holy Spirit is. In the form of a prayer to the Holy Spirit, shine in our hearts, O Spirit, precious light. Teach us, Jesus Christ, to know aright. If you don't remember anything about last week, this week, next week, when it comes to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, remember this. His work is that we might know Christ. His work is to proclaim Christ. His work is to shine on Christ. So the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, very deferential, We'll hear tonight, he doesn't speak on his own authority. What he hears, he speaks. And what he speaks is Jesus' word. So, shine in our hearts, O Spirit, precious light. Teach us, Jesus Christ, to know aright, that we may abide in the Lord, the Lord Jesus, who bought us with his holy, precious blood, till to our true home he the Holy Spirit has brought us, Lord, have mercy, to call us to faith and to keep us steadfast in the true faith and then to comfort us with the ministry of love from Jesus through Jesus' word, through his preaching, his teaching, through holy baptism, holy absolution, and the holy supper of our Lord. So before going into the catechism, Every time you hear in the church the adjective holy attached to something, 99 times out of 100, it has to do with the Holy Spirit. So, for example, holy baptism. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us in holy baptism. Holy absolution. The word of the forgiveness of sins is the work of the Holy Spirit as he proclaims Christ to us. Holy Supper is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So in the catechism tonight, which we're about to recite, it talks about being called to faith in Christ by the gospel, but then it says, and enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Uh, excuse me, enlightened with his gifts, and those gifts are by the Holy Spirit, the gifts of holy baptism, holy absolution, and the Holy Supper. The Holy Life, 
We can't live a holy life apart from the Holy Spirit who calls us to faith in Christ and sanctifies us. Okay? So you don't have to be mentioning the Holy Spirit. He's not an egomaniac anyhow to be receiving the ministry of the Spirit because his work is to proclaim Christ. Okay? All right, so with that, I'd like you to turn to the catechism number three there on your sheet. Everything fit front and back on the sheet tonight. I'll ask the questions, and then we'll make some additional comments. What is the third article of the creed? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now there is the third article itself. When you confess the third article of the Apostles' Creed, you may be tempted to think that the five things listed under the Holy Spirit are simply additional material. We didn't know where else to put it as a church, and so it's put there in the third article because we have nothing else to say about the Holy Spirit other than I believe in the Holy Spirit, as if the other five things are unrelated or disconnected, and nothing could be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who calls, gathers, and enlightens the holy Christian church on earth, calls sinners to repentance and faith, gathers the faithful together around the Lord's word and sacraments. The Holy Spirit is the creator of the holy Christian church by the word of Christ. The communion of saints, two words need some definition there. Communion means fellowship, to share in common with another. Saints are forgiven sinners. The only one who ever had no sin was Jesus, and then he took the sin of the world upon himself. All other human beings that have ever lived have been sinners. So saints are forgiven sinners. Sinners who have been called to faith in Christ, who have been declared righteous and forgiven for Jesus' sake. So communion of saints is a fellowship of forgiven sinners, which means what you and I share together as believers in Jesus, above all things in Christ, is the forgiveness of sins. That's what the communion of saints is all about. And indeed, the Holy Communion is a reception together through Jesus' body and blood of his forgiveness. Just as Jesus' words say, this cup is the New Testament in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. So we share that together. So in the phrase, the communion of saints, the Holy Communion is foreshadowed and uh, alluded to. I'm going to skip over the forgiveness of sins for just a moment and go to the last two, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Do you remember what we talked about as the cause of death? The cause of separation from God. Tom? Sin. So sin is what brought about death. The death of the body, the death of human beings spiritually, separation from God. It's that which separates people from one another, husbands from wives, parents from children. Friends are estranged because of the problem of sin. 
Where there's forgiveness of sins, there is life. And there is salvation. Because the forgiveness of sins takes away the cause of death. The death of the body and spiritual death. So here I said I was going to skip over the forgiveness of sins, but here I can't. Because the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting would not be possible apart from the forgiveness of sins that Jesus earned for us upon the cross. So on your sheet, it stands on its own line at the center of the third article of the creed and of the work of the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of sins is what causes the resurrection of the body and makes possible the life everlasting whereby we are reconciled to God. The forgiveness of sins is what called together sinners into the holy Christian church. It is what we share together in this communion of saints, this fellowship of forgiven sinners. So if you take away the forgiveness of sins for Jesus' sake, there ain't no holy Christian church, there ain't no communion of saints, there ain't no resurrection of the body, and there ain't no life everlasting. I use the bad grammar because hopefully it sticks in your memory. Okay? So the forgiveness of sins is at the center. It's the forgiveness that Jesus won for us upon the cross. And word and sacrament and preaching and so forth and catechesis are the means of the Spirit. They're sometimes called the means of grace. But they're the means of the Spirit whereby the Holy Spirit brings Christ to us. We'll hear that in the reading for tonight. He will take of what is mine, Jesus says, and declare it to you. All right, with that in mind, let's go to the, the question, what does this mean? And I'll ask you, what does this mean? I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. Stop. So you see, it is impossible to believe apart from the Holy Spirit. We cannot come to faith on our own. This is parallel to the fact we cannot conceive ourselves. None of us in this room conceived ourselves in our mother's womb. We cannot give birth to ourselves. None of us in this room gave birth to ourselves. So our conception and birth naturally is something that we received as a gift. So also the birth from heaven is the work of the Holy Spirit. I cannot by my own reason or strength believe, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me in the faith with his gifts. And those gifts are, again, holy baptism, holy absolution, and the Holy Supper. And it is by those very same things that he sanctifies makes me holy, keeps me in the true faith, and does the same for you. So continue on just where we left off. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. Notice the longest line in that second half that we just recited 
in this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. And that is the source of faith. It's the source of comfort. It is the source of hope. It is the source of inestimable joy, even under suffering and sorrow. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins. For the sake of Christ. And that is good news indeed. Martin Luther said, toward the forgiveness of sins in Christ, all of the activities of the church are to be directed. So in some way, shape, manner, or form, everything that the church does ought to serve the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins for Jesus' sake. All right. Any questions about the catechism here or the article itself? Vocabulary, expressions, what does this exactly mean? Beth? Ah, that's a good question, and there is no life everlasting apart from the death of Christ, which avails for all eternity. In other words, resurrection of the body and life everlasting flows out of the eternal benefits of Christ's death. Okay, yeah. Any other questions? Susan? Uh, Greek. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other questions? Good. Thank you. All right. Let's turn to the reading. And it's a short reading for tonight. Chapter 15 of John's Gospel, beginning at verse 26, which is at the very end, into chapter 16, verse 15. Chapters and verses in the Bible were not originally there by the apostles. So they didn't write the chapter numbers and the verse numbers. They were added later uh, to help us find our way around the Bible. Unfortunately, sometimes the chapters and the verse create artificial divisions uh, in sections that really belong together, and that's certainly the case here. So this is part of Jesus' catechesis on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Gelbach began last week that section in John's Gospel, chapter 13, which began his catechesis. It was Holy Week. It was Thursday night, the night he was betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion. And it begins in chapter 13 and goes chapter 14, 15, 16. And then in chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer concludes his catechesis on the Spirit where he prays for the apostles to be sanctified by the word of God that they have received. And then he actually prays for us, everyone who would believe in Christ through the apostolic word, even before we were conceived and born. So this is the heart, the climax of his catechesis on the Holy Spirit where he describes how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. 
and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there's a second half we'll cover in a moment, but on this first page, I wanted to focus on a number of things that have been underlined. First of all, the Holy Spirit is called the helper. It's from a Greek word, parakletos, which means helper, comforter, counselor. It's all three of those kind of wrapped into one. So if you think about the ministry of the Spirit proclaiming, laying upon our hearts all that Jesus has done for us. This is how he helps us, how he counsels us, the consolation kind of counsel. Um, Helps us, counsels us, and comforts us. So it's it's a unique name for the Holy Spirit that really zeroes in on the outcome of his work. Now, the outcome of the Spirit's work as, our, as the helper, the counselor, the comforter is an outcome based on how he does his work. And in the underlying portions that follow this, the how he does his work is accented. Okay, so he's called the Spirit of truth. If you're talking about truth... What would be the opposite of truth? Lies. Okay, falsehood. So if you're talking about truth and lies or truth and falsehood, then it's always involving what? Like lies or falsehood or truth. It's always involving what? Russell, what? Sin. Well, yes, but words, Tom, words. Truth. I mean, if we had a pew cushion here, we wouldn't really say this is truth. But if Tom were to say Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's truth. Okay? If the Pharisees and the scribes say of Jesus, he is Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, that's a lie. Okay? So what you say about Jesus is either truth or falsehood. It's either a truth or a lie. So calling the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth means that he works through words, pure words, words that are true, which is, of course, what God's word is. Who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. There again, the word testify speaks of bearing witness to who Jesus is with words. And you also will bear witness. So here now, 
the Holy Spirit bears witness with words, the apostles are going to bear witness. Now, it's not two different witnesses, but when the, Holy, when the apostles are bearing witness, it is the Holy Spirit through them that is testifying to who Jesus is, to what he has done. So you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then Jesus forecasts their rejection. He forecasts their persecution. He forecasts their martyrdom. And in terms of the apostles, they were all martyred except John. He was designated to care for Mary, Jesus' mother. The rest of them were all martyred. John was persecuted. He was just not put to death for his faith. So these things they will do because they have not known the Father nor me. Notice how, you know, the time that they'll put you out of the synagogue, those who kill you will think that they are rendering God a service. So what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. For the same reasons it happened to Jesus, he preached the love of God for sinners, calling them to repentance and proclaiming forgiveness, and they hated him for it. The apostles would be persecuted and suffer for the same reasons. And then finally, these things I have told you, there's words again, Jesus says, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them so that you're not made to stumble, he spoke of in verse uh, 1 of chapter 16, to be scandalized by suffering. Think about it. Jesus healed the sick, cleansed the leper, gave sight to the blind, made the cripples walk, raised the dead, and all of it was couched in the forgiveness of their sins, and they hated him for it. It would be like if I fed you and clothed you and gave you shelter and cared for you, and you either hated me for it or someone hated me for doing that to you, this good work of forgiving sin and binding up the brokenhearted. So when that happens, it was actually a sign that they belonged to Christ because what happened to him happened to them. And so this is very much the ministry of the Spirit in action. You know, Jesus washing the disciples' feet last week. Remember what he said, as I have done to you, so you also ought to do to one another. Love one another as I have loved you means forgive one another as I have forgiven you. All right, now if you turn the page, we conclude this reading from John. But now I go away to him who sent me. Who is that? God the Father. So Jesus says, I go away to him who sent me. The Father sent him. Notice how all three persons of the Holy Trinity are talked about and discussed in this text. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. More words. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. Reference to the Spirit. So it is necessary for Jesus to go away in order for the Helper to come. 
But if I depart, I will send him to you. So the Holy Spirit is sent from the Father and from the Son. And when he has come, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then I'm going to come back to this later, but I divided this out so you could see it clearly, verses 9, 10, and 11. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Again, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you see how it ends in this beautiful Trinitarian exposition um, uh, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All things that the Father has are mine, and he, the Spirit, will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All right, going back to the uh, verse 5, I go away to him who sent me. What is Jesus talking about there? Because he says, it is necessary that I go away. Because I go away, sorrow has filled your house. But it's necessary that I go away. Where's he going, Bill? To the cross. To the crucifixion. I believe you touched on that last week. It's his exodus, his going to the Father. He goes to the Father as both the offering for sin, the Lamb of God, and as priest who intercedes for us who makes atonement for our sin, who establishes righteousness. So his going to the Father is all about the shedding of his blood on our behalf. He is both the offering for sin and he is the priest that administers that intercession for us because of his death. So because I say I go to the Father, sorrow has filled your heart, I tell you it is to your advantage that I go away, I'll say, For every grace and every blessing comes to us because of Jesus going to the cross on our behalf. All right. Now this section. I have it in bold. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The word convict is important because it describes the work of the Spirit. To convict the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment. Verse 9 spells out the section on sin. Verse 10, on righteousness. Verse 11, on judgment. Now let's talk about them. What is at the heart of sin? In other words, when in the garden, when Adam and Eve turned away from God's word and believed the lie of the serpent, What was at the heart of that, Tom? Disbelief, unbelief. At the heart of sin is mistrust. The absence of love for God, of dependence upon God, of trust in God, of belief in God. So the Holy Spirit's work is to convict the world of sin, of unbelief, of our need 
for a savior, of our need for salvation that can't come from ourselves, but comes from outside ourselves. Of righteousness. We've been talking a lot about righteousness, haven't we? Remember, way back at the beginning, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to do what? To fulfill. So the righteousness of God, what is it? But Jesus fulfilling all righteousness for us. We talked about that at Jesus' baptism. The sin of the world is laid upon him, and he goes to the cross as the Lamb of God that the righteousness of God, the forgiveness of all sin, may be laid upon us. So look at what it says. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, the reference to the cross, Bill, and you see me no more. But this is not bad news. This is good news, because in going to the cross, he has paid the full price for our sin and established righteousness for us and for the whole world. And then finally, of judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. Now the word judged in this context can also be uh, thought of as con condemned. So he'll convict the world of condemnation because the ruler of this world is condemned. Who is the ruler of this world? Satan. Satan. That's right. So what this means is Satan stands what? Judged or condemned. Yes. Remember how the seed of the woman would come and crush the serpent's authority, power, headship. We talked about how God's word became Satan's power. They sin, they must die. And the Son of God says, yes, I will become man. I will die that death. And by that, he crushes the sa Satan's power and he stands judged or condemned. So... These three things, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. I've got some bullets there for you, small bullets. The Holy Spirit's work, third one down, is to convict the heart through the testimony of God's word to repentance and faith in Christ. And then these three points. The Holy Spirit's testimony exposes unbelief, convicting the heart to the truth of one's sin and need for Christ. That's repentance. The second one, the Holy Spirit's testimony, proclaims the gospel of Christ, the good news. All that Jesus has done, convicting the heart that Christ is our righteousness because he has gone to the cross for us. And finally, the Holy Spirit's testimony proclaims the judgment of God against Satan, convicting the heart that the ruler of this world has no power to condemn us. Because Christ has fulfilled the law for us, and in him we stand righteous, and we need not fear. So it's a very detailed description of what the Spirit's work is to convict. Now, where do you normally hear that word used in our world today, convict? In a court of law. You hear the evidence you hear the testimony if you're a juror, if you're a judge. And on the basis of the evidence and the testimony, a person is 
convicted of a crime or declared not guilty. Okay, so that is involved here on the basis of the Spirit's testimony. You are declared righteous, you know, called to faith to see your sin, declared righteous for Jesus' sake, a word that you receive and believe, and you live in the confidence that the ruler of this world stands judged and condemned. Do you see why the Holy Spirit is described as the helper, the comforter, the counselor? It also means that as Christians, you and I can't live without the word of God from outside of ourselves that is preached and proclaimed. The more we are assaulted by our sin, the more the devil accuses us. That's what his name means, Satan, accuser. You call yourself a Christian, Landry? I know what you think. See? He accuses us. He undermines the certainty of our faith. Only the word of Christ, ministered to us by the Holy Spirit, can comfort the conscience, can forgive sin, can give us the confidence that we stand righteous before God, not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of Christ's work. It is the Holy Spirit who, through the word, helps and consoles and strengthens us in the faith to live a godly life. It is the Holy Spirit who creates the new man in us, the will that actually loves God and loves the neighbor and desires to do what is good. Does that mean that we always perform it? No. But our dependence upon the word of God is for our faith as Christians and for our life as Christians. Our dependence upon the holy gifts, baptism, holy absolution, and the Lord's Supper is necessary, not only for our faith and salvation, but for our life in that faith and in that salvation. It is the strength of body and soul for us as Christians. That's why the devil wants you more than anything else in the problems of your life, in the suffering of your life, in the anguish of your life, when you're threatened by your own sin, when you feel the guilty conscience. More than anything else, he wants you to stay away. Don't go to church. And if the devil wants to tempt you to think, i got to clean up my life first, and then I'll go back to church. That's one of those lies, Tom, of the devil. That is not the truth. The more we are suffering, the more we are in anguish, the more the problems of life weigh in around us, the more we need the ministry of love from the Holy Spirit who by the word of Jesus comforts us, consoles us. Yes, we need to be convicted of our sin, that we might be convicted of the righteousness of Christ as the fountain and source of our salvation, and that the ruler of this world really does stand judged. He has no hold on me so that the eyes of faith are singularly fixed upon Jesus. Okay? The source of our life, our salvation, our hope, our joy. All right, I stopped there. Oh, good. And I was going to ask for questions. Perfect. Alex. Can you put this into context again for me? This is pre-crucifixion? Yes, it is the night before Jesus is crucified. Okay. Uh, actually, let me, let me say it a different way. In our way of telling time, it's the night before. In the Bible's way of telling time, where evening and morning are a day, it's the very day of his crucifixion. Yeah. And, and you're suggesting that when 
He is referring to his death, particularly, although you can't, we can't separate them. His, his uh, crucifixion, death, and resurrection are all, and ascension are all of a piece. His death, resurrection, and ascension are all together. It, it's, it, I'm trying to reconcile geographical travel. Okay, the descent into hell in the creed is not to suffer. The descent into hell is the beginning of his exaltation where he proclaims victory. It's a victory march, a victory parade from, the, from hell to the heights of heaven. Okay. And, but what, what abides, uh, Alex, is the Father's word. We'll hear it this coming Sunday on Transfiguration. And we heard it at the baptism of our Lord. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that is an eternal word of the Father that transcends time, even though it's based on things that happened in time. In other words, the the Son's willingness to die in love for the Father and in love for us is the Father's delight, and he is well pleased with that. And that avails uh, for all time. So he was sent into the world specifically to die. So the, you know, in sermons and devotions at Christmas time, um, he was born of the virgin and laid in the manger to die upon the wood of the cross is exactly, is exactly true. He was sent to go back to the Father in his death as the offering for sin. Beth. If I do not go away, the helper will not come for you. I'm repeating this for the sake of the recording. I pigeonhole that actually in thinking to the disciples only, but really that's everybody. Yes, it, it is to your advantage that I go away is not for the disciples only. It is for all Christians. Okay? And again, it is necessary that I go to the cross for the Holy Spirit to come to you with all of the gifts that my cross won for you. Now, of course, there is a distinction in the apostles and the Christian in this sense. They were eyewitnesses, and apart from the Spirit, they could not remember faithfully everything that Jesus did and taught, which they were called to bear witness to. So, On this same night, Jesus says, he will bring to your remembrance everything that I said to you. That is a unique promise to the 12. However, this is one of the reasons we memorize scripture and the catechism. Not because our pastors are trying to be mean to us, but because this is a great gift that through having learned it by heart, it then becomes an instrument an ongoing instrument of the Holy Spirit to bring to our remembrance those things that we have received. Yeah, on Pentecost, um, some people think that the Holy Spirit was never active and then he finally came on Pentecost. Not true. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, we saw at creation the Holy Spirit was over the surface of the waters. He is the life that the sun breathed into the dust and made of Adam a living being. 
We confess that reality in the third article of the Nicene Creed, the longer creed, where the Holy Spirit is called the Lord and giver of life. What is particularly unique about Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit comes uniquely upon the 12 for their apostolic work of preaching so that the Holy Spirit might come to all of us through the apostolic word. That's why I'm not, I believe, yes, in the back there's an icon of Pentecost and the flames of fire are on the heads of the 12. These are the guys who were with Jesus. These are the guys who heard Jesus. Hear them. And the Holy Spirit's ministry makes that possible. So the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost for the 12 is so that the Spirit can be poured out superabundantly through the preaching of the apostolic gospel upon the whole world. Cherie. So that was a visible sign to the people, just like the, the dove. The flame of fire uh, was a visible sign. The speaking in tongues, the foreign languages, the gospel was a sign. The rushing wind was a sign of the Spirit. Other, other questions? So, the Holy Spirit's ministry is here in this place where the Holy Gospel is preached, where the Holy Sacraments of Christ are administered according to the Gospel, and where the Holy Christian Church then gathers in this communion or fellowship of forgiven sinners. And by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not only is faith created, but so is the sure and the certain confidence of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, which is pledged to us by the Spirit through the word of Christ in the Lord's Supper. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. So there is a pledge of our resurrection, and it strengthens us against the forces of darkness and sin and death and evil to live in the confidence of the salvation that is ours in Christ. So with that, we prepare for the Lord's Supper by the singing of hymn 573.
Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks for all your goodness and bless you for the love that sustains us from day to day. We praise you for the gift of your Son, our Savior, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, for your Holy Church, for the preaching of the Gospel and the Blessed Sacraments, the means of the Holy Spirit for the lives of all faithful and just people, and for the hope of the life to come. Help us to treasure in our hearts all that you have done for us, and enable us to show our thankfulness in lives that are wholly given to your service. By your word and Holy Spirit, comfort all who are in sorrow or need, sickness or adversity, be with those who suffer persecution for the faith. Have mercy on those to whom death draws near. Bring consolation to those in sorrow and grant to all a measure of your love. We remember with thanksgiving those who have loved and served you in your church on earth who now rest from their labors, especially Reverend John Leiter. Keep us in fellowship with all your saints and bring us at last to the joys of your heavenly kingdom. All these things, and whatever else you know that we need, grant us, Father, for the sake of him who died and rose again, and now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and grace. It is truly 
good, right, and salutary, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, for you have mightily governed and protected your holy church, in which the blessed apostles and evangelists proclaimed your divine and saving gospel. Therefore, with patriarchs and prophets, apostles and evangelists, with your servant, St. Paul, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of all creation. For you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You once proclaimed your saving promise through the prophets of Israel, and by the apostles and evangelists, you published the good news of your saving promise fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Grant that we, being instructed by the Holy Spirit in the doctrine of the blessed apostles and evangelists, may faithfully eat his body and drink his blood and declare his salvation to all the world. Hear us as we pray in his name and as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, grant us thy peace. Amen.
body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, strengthen and preserve you, body and soul, in the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his mercy endures forever. Almighty and everlasting God, we thank and praise you for feeding us the life-giving body and blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Send us your Holy Spirit, that having with our mouths received the Holy Sacrament, we may by faith obtain and eternally enjoy your divine grace the forgiveness of sins, unity with Christ, and life eternal. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.